Coming up this evening, live from New York City, U.S. household wealth falls by a record amount in the second quarter. What's behind the drop? And with the push for electric vehicles, some are worried it could cause job losses in the traditional auto industry. And we take a deep dive into the Iran nuclear deal talks and how the deal could benefit China if it goes through. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. The United Kingdom's new king gave his first address today as the country mourns the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. King Charles III arrived at Buckingham Palace, where he was greeted by hundreds of people. In the speech, Charles called Elizabeth an inspiration and an example for him. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. King Charles pledged to uphold the Queen's legacy. He also officially announced the new title of his son, William, who is now Prince of Wales and Duke of Cornwall. He closed his remarks by thanking both his mother and father, Prince Philip, who died last year. And here in the U.S., household net worth fell by the most on record in the second quarter. Americans lost $6.1 trillion between April and June. That's a 4.1% decline, according to a Federal Reserve report. The previous record drop in wealth was two years ago, when pandemic shutdowns upended financial markets. This latest fall was led by a decline in stock market values. Equities slid into a bear market in the first half of the year. Overall, the drop in stock market values outstripped the gain in real estate values. And it looks like now you can go to Princeton University for free. That is, as long as your family earns less than $100,000 a year. The Ivy League school in New Jersey announced a more generous financial aid program Thursday. Previously, students only qualified if their families made less than $65,000. Now, families earning less than $100,000 will get free tuition and room and board. Princeton said about 1,500 undergraduates will get this aid. It's about a quarter of the undergraduate student body. Under the new policies, more scholarship funding will go to families earning less than $150,000 a year. The new policies will take effect next fall. And in addition to Princeton, other Ivy League schools as well have also recently boosted financial aid for their students. And with President Biden signing the Inflation Reduction Act into law, the race for electric vehicle market share is heating up. But as electric vehicles gain more traction, some workers in the traditional automotive industry are worried they might lose their jobs. For our next story, several experts weigh in on the subject. In stark contrast with the sluggish sales of traditional gas vehicles, electric vehicles or EV sales are growing leaps and bounds. In Q2, EV sales grew 66% compared to the year before, reaching a record high of 5.6% market share of all new vehicle sales in the U.S. As the auto industry transitions to EVs, some worry about massive job cuts. Michael Strong, managing editor of the Detroit Bureau, says on the surface, job losses seem to be inevitable. Uh, there are plenty of studies that show that electric vehicles have significantly fewer parts uh, 
If you have fewer parts, you need fewer people to put them together. Keith Cooley, who spent 25 years in the automotive industry, says some auto workers are worried. I think that the worker of today is a little bit sort of unsettled about that, especially those that are not working on electric vehicles now. According to Ford and Volkswagen studies, the labor requirements for the final assembly of an EV are 30% to 70% less than that of a traditional gas vehicle. Recently, Ford slashed 3,000 jobs to fund the new EV business. The increasing sales of EVs will reduce the demand for the engine components of traditional gas vehicles. Dave Opshall, CEO of Actify, a software company servicing primarily automotive suppliers, says those suppliers will have to find new avenues to survive. They would have to uh, begin to uh, focus on, you know, a different part of the vehicle where they could take some part of their manufacturing capability where they thought they had an advantage. Uh, where they can either compete uh, effectively or uh, perhaps they're just willing to uh, accept a lower margin you know, uh, on, on the parts that they're making. But it's a difficult transition for them to make in either case. Sonia Carley, professor of public affairs at Indiana University, says job loss is not definitive. She indicates that there will be huge opportunities for different kinds of jobs as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act. The act incentivizes vehicle final assembly, critical minerals, and batteries processed in North America or free trade countries with up to a $7,500 tax credit. The future of the auto industry workforce with um, batteries and electric vehicles means that there'll be a lot more jobs that are focused on battery components and battery manufacturing and battery operations. We'll also see increasing uh, tendencies towards AI and toward um, you know, being able to program the cars as opposed to more of the kind of mechanical operations of, of building a car. One thing is for sure. To help maintain its workforce and provide a talent pipeline, the automotive industry will need to train its current and future workforce to meet the new requirements of manufacturing and support of EVs. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. EV makers might need fewer workers, but they'll need more lithium, a lot more, because it's a critical component for making EV batteries. Now, Tesla is considering setting up a lithium refinery on the Gulf Coast of Texas in order to secure a supply of lithium. Having its own lithium refinery will also lower the company's logistics costs. CEO Elon Musk has been vocal about the need for more players in the lithium refinery industry and if approved commercial production could begin by the end of 2024. The automaker would become the very first in the sector to invest directly in lithium refining. Lithium prices have skyrocketed this year due to surging demand from the auto sector. And moving on to Jackson, Mississippi. An advisory to boil water is still in place. Residents there recently experienced a week without reliable running water. Recent rains and flooding caused problems at a local water treatment plant. It led to a drop in water pressure throughout Jackson, and low pressure could allow contaminants into the water. And earlier, I spoke with Dr. Roy Spicer more about the Jackson water crisis. He's with the company Clean Water Revival. Here's what he had to say. Roy, appreciate you coming on today. Now, let me ask you this. Is the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis a natural disaster? 
Well, it's a combination of flooding, but the real underlying issue is a decaying infrastructure of the main pipes. And this is just the tip of the iceberg because it's going on all over the United States. Uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article on September 3rd, and it stated that there are 2.2 million miles of pipe that are decaying and rotting and breaking. So the crisis in Jackson is just reflective of this decaying infrastructure. There's been leaks, breaks, and there's been shutdowns, also boil alerts, which indicates that bacteria and parasites have infiltrated into the water source. So this is a very dangerous situation. It's going to take approximately, they estimate, a trillion dollars to fix this water infrastructure. And in the new infrastructure bill, only $50 billion has been allocated. So it's woefully short of fixing the problem. Uh, we see water reports every day. I look at them and we see all kinds of contaminants, uh, chemicals. Uh, they have to chlorinate the water heavily in some cases because of bacteria build up in the mains. So these chemicals get into the distribution system and wind up in your drinking water. You, you mentioned decaying infrastructure. Who is responsible for this? Well, some of these pipes have been put in the ground anywhere from 40 years ago on average up to over 100 years ago. And the local municipal companies don't have the money to fix it and replace it. So they're patching it up with Band-Aid fixes. And the government, the federal government, has not allocated enough money to fix the entire infrastructure. And a lot of uh, consumers are aware of the quality issues. The water sometimes tastes bad. It even smells or has a bad color. So they're looking for alternatives like bottled water or filtration to solve the problem. And that's one of the things that we've been working on to develop very advanced filtration equipment so that pure water can be obtained in the home for drinking and bathing. Uh, we have to eliminate all these chemicals, heavy metals, some of them very toxic, like arsenic. They allow 10 parts per billion. This is an inadequate standard. Uh, the Environmental Working Group has pointed this out. They've done studies on this. So the standards that exist now, they allow a lot of low-level contaminants, and they're really not healthy. So the standards have to become more stricter. Now, if the water is contaminated and, and a person ingests this unclean water, will that have any long-term or, or sort of lasting effects on the body? Well, there's been a lot of studies on this. Uh, for example, chlorine and chloramine, which are used to disinfect the water, when they get into the distribution system, they form chemical byproducts called trihalomethanes. And those are absorbed through the skin. You breathe them in as a gas, and you ingest them when you're drinking water. And there's been indications that they can be carcinogens. As a matter of fact, the EPA lists them as probable class B carcinogens in animal studies. So yes, there are a lot of uh, toxic effects, long-term health impacts. Arsenic is one of them. I mean, that's a carcinogen. There's a lot of heavy metals. And the newer contaminants, the PFOS and PFAS chemicals, are very, very severe carcinogens. They're the most toxic chemicals known to man. They're in toxic at parts per trillion. And they haven't set standards yet uh, to regulate these chemicals. And that's going to be a big problem for the future. What would be the solution? What needs to change in the future so we can prevent sort of these crises from keep happening? Well, it's like everything else, you know, until people start screaming and complaining to the politicians, they don't do anything. It's a, a reactive type of situation. So consumers that are becoming aware of the problem, they're supporting organizations like EWG, Environmental Working Group, and they brought it to the forefront. There's other uh, agencies or organizations like FAM, Fluoride Action Network. They're suing the EPA right now.
because they're regulating fluoride, which is a toxin, and they're allowing it to go into the water supply. So whether you think it's valuable or not, it's a toxic substance. So a lot of these groups are advocating for consumers. They're bringing it to the attention of the government. They're suing them in some cases. So I think this is really uh, an attention grabber for the government. And, for example, the article in the Wall Street Journal, front page, brought this to the attention of everyone. Yeah, well, I really hope this is a catalyst for possible future change. Anyways, Dr. Roy Spicer at Clean Water Revival, pleasure speaking to you today. My pleasure. Thank you. And stocks today rallied with the major indexes recording their first weekly gain in four weeks. The Dow rose 377 points or one and two tenths of percent. S&P gained 61 points or one and a half percent. The Nasdaq added 250 points or two and one tenths of a percent. And moving on to Iran, as the Iran nuclear talks continue, we're asking ourselves this question. How would China benefit if a deal actually went through? According to a research institute called the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, a deal could very well potentially benefit China. The two countries are pretty close. China is Iran's top trading partner. But at the same time, they're not that close. Ever since Iran was slapped with sanctions back in 2006, China has frequently been Iran's biggest export destination. Back in 2020, as you can see on this chart on my left, China bought over half of Iran's exports. The two countries also once in a while engage in joint military exercises. China has also given Iran military technology that Iran has even used against the U.S., specifically against U.S. troops in Iraq. China also purchases large amounts of oil from Iran, which is a blatant violation of sanctions, though this has been slowing down in recent years. According to official numbers, China's purchases are kind of helping Iran stay alive. As you can see on my left, purchases fell drastically in 2016 and remained low, which analysts attribute to Trump's foreign policy. But still, the two countries aren't exactly the best of friends. While China is close to Iran, it's even closer to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. These two countries are Iran's enemies. China's relationship with Iran is maintained through ambassadors. But in comparison, China has a much higher level coordination with Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Beijing also trades with them way more. But the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies believes China's relationship with Iran could all change if there's a new nuclear deal. It will change for the better. It believes the deal will have the two countries become better friends, and both will benefit from that. For more insight, we talked with REA Lightstone. He's a former special envoy for the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords is a peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. China will gain enormously. Part of the deal will be a $250 billion uh, or more uh, release of sanctions and, and equity flowing into the country. I would assume that at least half of that is going to wind up going to Chinese entities. Lightstone says Iran, China, and Russia could become a very powerful nuclear force in the region. Here he is again. It's Iran becoming independent economic power that is connected deeply with China. That makes China that much more stronger. And unfortunately for the rest of the world, it also makes Iran that much more stronger. 
And now, here's an example of how cooperation could potentially increase. The China National Petroleum Company previously declined to develop natural gas in Iran's South Pars field because of U.S. sanctions. But if a deal goes through, China then is likely to help Iran develop it. The South Pars field is the world's largest by far, has 34,000 cubic kilometers of recoverable reserves. The second largest natural gas reserve is in Uingui, Russia, which, as you can see on this chart here, is far smaller. China could also get more access to Iran's steel, gold, and aluminum sectors. These minerals, of course, are used in numerous goods that are crucial to any economy. And for in-depth information on this, we talked with Si Hung Kim, the director of the Captive Nations Coalition of the Committee on the Present Danger China. The CCP wants essentially uh, to be the um, the mineral master uh, within within Iran, and being being able to uh, you know extract any amount of resources that they want. Iran says it has a wide diversity of minerals, claims to have 68 types, also has 37 billion tons of proven reserves and more than 57 billion tons of potential reserves. Iran could also let China build up its telecommunications infrastructure, and this could possibly allow China to install surveillance technology all over the country, which China has already done with a few other countries. For more on Iran and its government, we spoke with counterterrorism expert Cynthia Farahat. She's the author of the book, The Secret Apparatus. I do not have a shred of doubt in my mind that they are going to start a nuclear war according to their own theology and philosophy and their writings and their speeches that it is there uh, they have to kill uh, one third of the planet during jihad. Farhad has studied radical theology extensively and she says something very shocking. She says, Iran's government wants to bring about the end of times. This is what she says it's going to do after it kills a third of the planet. And then the other third will die from starvation and from the side effects of the war. And that's how they will be able to bring about the uh, escalation and prepare the grounds for the end of times where their messiah will come and they will all kill together infidels and then it the sun will rise from the west and then it will be judgment day that doesn't sound good so will iran get a nuclear weapon for insight we spoke with kay campbell previously he's a former u.s military intelligence officer with five years of iran experience i don't know if it'll be five years or 50 years, I think eventually Iran will get um, a nuclear weapon. Campbell believes that it's not possible to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. He says even if facilities are destroyed, Iran can simply build them back up. As uh, former Secretary of Defense Gates had mentioned, um, an, an attack on Iran nuclear facilities or its nuclear program will result in only a two to three year delay it's almost impossible to destroy a nuclear program, short of a full-scale invasion. For these analysts, the future sure sounds grim. 
And still to come, we visit a food expo showcasing 100% plant-based food and hear from some of the vendors. A painting made entirely by artificial intelligence wins first prize in art fair. The news is sparking debate though over ethics and the future of art. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Plant-based food lovers and professionals rubbed elbows, networked, and taste-tested foods in Manhattan, New York today and yesterday. NTD's Charm Marshall brings us there. I'm here at the Plant-Based World Food Expo, where they say the answers to animal cruelty, world food shortages, and sustainability is plant-based. Let's see what they got. It's a 100% plant-based event designed exclusively for food service industry professionals. So many of these cutting-edge foods are being taste-tested for the first time or aren't easily available to the general public. The event was mostly tailored to the needs and questions of retailers, food service operators, and other plant-based industry professionals. Todd Goldstein came up with a tasty plant-based cookie dough out of necessity. The reason I started Wodo is because myself and my three boys, so myself and my three boys all have severe gluten allergies, and I recognize they never be able to eat real cookie dough. And so I wanted to create that same cookie dough experience, but on the go. So that's how Wodo was born. spoke with Elaine Perlman of the Coalition for Healthy School Food, a nonprofit that introduces plant-based foods and nutrition education in schools. I truly believe that impact can be made when we talk to children who are very young before addictions have been formed so that they can learn that sugar, oil, and salt are truly detrimental to their long-term health and also their teeth. <laughs> and so um, we have a real problem that three-fourths of what Americans eat is processed food, and it's a catastrophe for our longevity and for just feeling good in our bodies. Mushrooms are being adopted as a non-allergenic meat substitute. They can be grown vertically to save space and produce several times the amount of food compared to chickens that can be produced in the same amount of space. I think the mushrooms are the solution in a couple of ways. Um, the first is that mushrooms are the most sustainably grown food in the produce aisle um, automatically. Um, and then if you look at the fact that for, for us, we use upcycled plant protein. So we use plant proteins that are the byproducts of vegetable oil production. Uh, and so that's actually why we are nominated for, where is it, uh, best plant-based sustainability, <laughs> exactly for that reason. And all, just about everything I taste tested tasted pretty good. You won't find many plant-based expos of this magnitude. The expo ended Friday. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And a game designer takes first place in a fine arts competition, but he created his work with artificial intelligence software. And now there's debate over that. Let's take a look. Last week, artist Jason Allen sparked controversy by winning the top prize at the Colorado State Fair with his AI-generated artwork. 
theater The Opera Spatial. The work depicts three people in an otherworldly setting, silhouetted by a bright portal. Jason Allen is president of Incarnate Games, a gaming company based in Colorado. Allen said the work was created by a software called MidJourney, a text-to-image AI system. With extensive training, such programs can generate images that match user-supplied text descriptions. MidJourney can be accessed through a Discord server. There, users display and exchange their own creations. The use of artificial intelligence to create art has generated a strong reaction on social media. Twitter user Omnimorpho wrote, We're watching the death of artistry unfold right before our eyes. Others have accused Allen of deception in the submission of his work. The judges may not have fully understood how the AI generator worked. The rules of the competition for the category Allen entered stated only, Artistic practice that uses digital technology as part of the creative or presentation process. Allen wrote on Discord that he clearly stated that he created the work using MidJourney. But when another user asked him if he explained what the software was, Allen replied, quote, Should I have explained what MidJourney was? If so, why? The other user followed up by questioning whether the result would be different if the judges knew that AI produced the image. Allen defended his actions to the Chieftain newspaper in Pueblo, Colorado. In his words, I wanted to make a statement using artificial intelligence artwork. I feel like I accomplished that, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. We read every email. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on Monday.